Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. 20th of April. Wow, sir. Yeah. Welcome to morning tea. Yes, it's it's winter, and it's not winter. It's not Spring winter. morning tea. Yes, it's or afternoon or evening, whenever you're having your tea. Yeah, but it's morning for us, for sure. Yes, yes. and it's chilly. It is. We need to eat. It's chilly. It is. We're having very chilly mornings, are we not? Yeah, we we sat outside for dinner last night. We had a lovely dinner outside and then woke up icicles. I think somebody's getting snow today. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it could be Canada, but somebody's getting <laughs> snow today. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Somebody that probably should be getting it at yeah. this time of year. Okay. I, well, maybe. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. April. It's late April, too. Yeah. Yeah. So... When we were in Colorado, we would get snow in April. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's it's Sometimes actually it would still be on the ground till May in the mountains, you know, in the higher altitude. And we've had we've had we had snow like two years ago, the first week of May. Mm-hmm. I hope we don't. Right. Yeah, because we're we're heading towards summer. Yes. <laughs> not not winter. Not winter. Yeah. Indeed. Our trajectory is August rush. Yeah. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I took a drink right well, when you yeah. said that. I'm yeah. <laughs> warming up. Our little perfect frosting. I mean, it is. It's just. It's because we had our windows open. Right. For sleeping. But well, it was. Yeah, it was warm. It was really warm yesterday. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Mm-hmm. We would call that Los Angeles temperatures yesterday. Mm-hmm. But not this morning. No. Not at all. It's quite chilly. Yes. So. Do we have any announcements? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. All right. <laughs> like, I should have one. Yeah. And you know what it is, but you're not telling me. No. Waiting for I, me to remember it. I, I just always want to save at least a sentence in case we... Yeah. I can't... I can't think of anything. Okay. But if it pops in... It'll, yeah. It'll come right out. No, we'll save it to the end if we need to. Mm-hmm. Okay. For sure. Well, um... Last week, we had a lovely talk about Jesus's heart mm-hmm. for um, the people of God. But, you know, you don't want to just say the people of God because, because it, it sounds like we're excluding the world. Because, obviously, it's the heart of God that everyone know love and everyone know God. Mm-hmm. And um, so... It's really the heart of God for the world to know love. And mm-hmm. to know love, we need to know the one who is love. And, um, and that's a love that is that has not been diluted by the shortcomings of humanity. It's the love that's never beginning. It's the love that is purely selfless. It's the love that's unconditional. There's no love like the love mm-hmm. of Elohim. And so, um, Jesus, when Jesus, as we know from last week, was praying for us, his whole heart was that we would become one, that, that people would hear the good news of who God is, and that through Jesus, the love of God has been made unconditional, which means that our, our selfishness will not keep us from having love. And, um, and because Jesus, Jesus, if you will, dealt with the, the decay and death that comes from selfishness. 
And what a gift, what a gospel, what a good news that is. And so, of course, we read through Paul and his uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 description of us being like a human body with all of our parts that are different and all the differences and all of the covenants that are in that. So, um, so now we, we understand that, um, that, that that personal, intimate relationship with God that we have produces fruit in our lives, a fruit of healing, a fruit of maturing, and, um, and it's, it's that maturing is simply us becoming more love. And, and when we become more love, we become fruitful people. So the fruit of our intimate relationship affects us, but then we become fruitful people. And our fruit is, is we feed the hungry. We clothe those that need clothing, and we visit those that are lonely. And as we mature, as we become more deeper in the heart of God, more love, that's when we begin to set the oppressed free and remove the chains that bind people. And we really rescue people from what we were rescued from. There's an inheritance to the idea that I was rescued by God, and God used people to do that, and then I can become one of the people that God rescues others mm-hmm. through. It's just yay, mm-hmm. lots of yay to that. So, so now, today, this week, we want to take um, a look at our challenges because we have challenges right now uh, to becoming one. And, and we don't just want to say, God wants us to become one and then move on with life and not have that be the passion of our day, you know, mm-hmm. is knowing that through our own personal, intimate relationship with God, we can produce fruit that complements and completes each other's. We can become one. We can be unified by our own relationship with God. So we can't ever set that aside because we're not setting aside our relationship with God mm-hmm. and, of course, the fruit that comes with it. And especially as we see, to varying degrees, people around us suffering because of the fruit of selfishness. And selfishness is, um, is, is not our friend. Selfishness mm-hmm. is our enemy, if you will. So... So we want to look at our challenges today, and to do that, and and you know, and this is this is old school, but but I just want to make sure we're all in the same context. I'm going to repeat Second Corinthians two verse eleven. So I don't know how many times we've done this, but we're going to do it again. So Paul said, "In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his." schemes. So so the idea that there is a scheming that is taking place, there is a, um, a the, the verb and the noun, there are schemes and those are nouns, and there are, is the verb and that is the scheming. And, um, and this is happening all over the world right now. And, and the whole point of this, if we want to just strip it down to brass tacks, the, the whole point of the scheme is to um, luring people into becoming blatantly or even subtly selfish. That simple. So, so that I'm taking care of myself or, or I'm promoting myself or I, um, I win 
but someone else has to lose mm-hmm. for me to win. So why, why is the enemy doing this? Well, obviously, because when people become one through God, it is a threat to the evil one. This is what leads to the wedding. Um, this is what leads to a war that Satan will lose. We know this because it's one of the, the, the few but concrete things that God gave us that will happen. And judgment, which simply is the, the separation of what was chosen and the fruit of those choices. So the plan of evil is to bring an abrupt halt to any momentum we might have of oneness. Okay, how is that done? Through amplified trauma. Okay, now we've done this a million times, but we just need to see this at an individual level so that we can move to the bigger picture. So the amplified trauma, of course, is what um, leads to division um, because it, it, it causes a reaction of selfishness. And selfishness means that I'm working for myself at the expense of others. Mm-hmm. So um, from childhood traumas, which is, which is where many of them began, come these motivators. And we've talked about the, the heart language of, of love motivation, but the, the selfish motivations that come from trauma are fear, ambition, and pleasure. Mm-hmm. So, so the things that um, that are motivating us, they're they're leading us to our reactions in selfishness. We're afraid. We we are ambitious. We want to promote ourselves or pleasure. We want comfort that is um, that is our kind of comfort. So we've defined our comfort, and it's and it it ends up being pleasure. And of course, that's Luke eight fourteen. So, um, so Satan uh, uses these to lead us to, and here, here's some key words, compete against each other so that someone is conquered. Uh-huh. Then we can take and hoard. Boy, talk about, you know... Uh, you know, it's like the barbarian mantra. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's when you look at it that way, it's it's so barbaric. You know, mm-hmm. but but that is in the fabric of so many lives to this day is the reaction to trauma being for for competition, so that someone is conquered, so that we can take and hoard for ourselves. And, um, and so once you understand that that is the, the individual's reaction to this scheme of evil, which is amplifying trauma, you know, we've been through this a thousand times, but people being traumatized, rising up to, becoming, to become traumatizers. And when you have a traumatizer, then someone else gets traumatized and it just passes on. And so amplifying that trauma is, is a way to empower those motivators, fear, ambition, and pleasure, to get people to compete, conquer, take, and hoard for themselves. So now here's our ancient history that is, is part of our challenge today, is what happens when we see collective selfishness. 
So collective selfishness is just a false oneness. It's an imitation. It's not the real thing. And it's expressed as a gathering of people. So people who gather together, but their goal is um, dealing with those three motivators of fear, ambition, and pleasure. So ultimately, that we could probably summarize that as being um, comfort and safety. And we'll just say that, that ambition leads to comfort, pleasure leads to comfort, and safety deals with fear. So comfort and safety through strength in numbers. So this is, you know, you hear these mantras out there, and do we realize that, that you know, this is, these are all the mantras of the schemes of evil, is getting us to collectively join together in our selfishness in order to provide comfort and safety through strengths in numbers, strength in numbers. So, so it's, not, it's not a real oneness, it's a false oneness. And, you know, some people in the world will call that collective selfishness a society. And that's that I'm just going to say, again, there's there's probably a redemptive, beautiful covenant in society. We're not anti-society. We just want to see the spiritual underpinnings of what these things are. And what it is, is collective selfishness. So cultures, nations, all of these things are built upon society and society is built as a collection of selfishness. It's our ways of getting together to protect ourselves and comfort ourselves. And of course, that is, like we said, the false version. There's a, there's a true version through oneness and then there's the false version and that's what we're dealing with. So at a bird's eye view, collective selfishness is, these are lifeboats, within lifeboats, within lifeboats. So in other words, division within division within division. Everything is divided and it has to be because, um, <clears throat> because we have come into uh, an agreement of these objectives, our goals, but it's not true unity. And so because of that, we have differences in our motivations, we have differences in our flavors, we have all these little differences, and because those similarities are not something that's comfortable to us, I'm not comfortable often with something that's different, therefore I create a new lifeboat within the lifeboat of people who are similar to me. And it's those those similarities that um, that cause us to to design our own lifeboat within the lifeboat. That way, I'm the most comfortable and the most safe, because people who are like me are going to have um, the goals that are similar to mine or motivations that are similar to mine. So, what happens then? The bigger lifeboats have control. And, and this is what we're seeing in the world right now, is the biggest lifeboats. Those are the ones that are kind of running the show. And so they build within society um, their little infrastructure that supports their motivations. And so they, because they have control, they are the ones who command and enforce the rules of their comfort and their safety. And so command and force the rules, okay? Now, what I've just described is government. And, and I don't mean anti-government. I'm just saying this is a governmental picture. So command is the executive branch, enforces the judicial branch, 
and um, and the rules are the legislative branch. And um, so, so basically, the executive, you know, in the United States would be president, governor, mayor. And uh, the judicial would be the, the judges, the district attorneys, and the police. And then the legislative are Congress and Senate. And in different nations, you're going to have different versions of this. So, and I'm just giving this to you, not again to be anti-establishment, but just to give us a picture of how the spiritual underpinnings of this work. It's all about collective safety and collective comfort. It's all about selfishness. And that's the false version. So, um, when you look at it through this eyes, where's God in all this? Where is God? Where is Papa? Where's Elohim? And, and we have been deceived through scheme into seeing these blurred together as one thing instead of recognizing that if we, if we go around all of our collectiveness and go straight to God, which should be our, our point our, of origin in all of this, we have our own personal intimate relationship with love that produces love, then our unity is, is in how we become more and more like the one who is love. And it's not us reacting to trauma, reacting to fear, reacting to a need for ambition or pleasure that causes us to compete, conquer, take, and hoard. Okay. So, um, so if you look at these collective um, selfishness, if you look at these lifeboats, they are void of empathy because they are designed about similarities. I, I am drawn towards those that are similar to me. So empathy is not, is not in the cards because I'm not focused on somebody else and what they're going through. What does it mean for them, you know? Or if, if I do, and again, I'm, this sounds very black or white, there's a, very, there's a very, you know, blend in this, and you can have a little of this and a little of this. It's like a menu, but look at the whole thing as a picture just so that we can see what's in front of us. Void of empathy. So compassion is diluted at best, at best compassion is diluted. In the middle, compassion is absent. But in the worst case, compassion is replaced with hatred. And, and guys, just look at the world right now. Look at what's happening in the world right now. All of these things are happening. You know it by its fruit. As soon as you see the, the, the void of, of absence, of, an absence of, of empathy, and therefore the absence of or diluted compassion, the absence of compassion, or the replacement of compassion with hatred. You know immediately we're we're <clears throat> fighting against each other because we're in a society that became our source instead of a society that is simply the setting of our story. You know, it's okay. We're in a society that is the setting of our story. We, this is not a problem. We don't have to be anti-establishment in order to deal with that. But when that collective selfishness is our source, that's when we have the issue. Okay, so to be free. How do we be free? First, 
we must choose to overcome our own selfishness. So that's when we see the log in our eye. What is it that's happening in me that's causing me to react to those things? We live in uh, the, the daily bread, personal, intimate relationship with God, where through his light, we're able to see the traumas that have caused us to be selfish. And that's part of it. The other part of it is in his light, seeing where has my source been anything but God. Now, we've been talking about this for 14 years. I do sound like a broken record, but, but we're never going to get there unless we'll start with ourselves. We have to start with my own selfishness. This is our heart work, dealing with our trauma, our selfish motivations, our fear, our, our ambition, our pleasure, and how do we react to them? Most importantly, we must see that collective selfishness is not our salvation. Our salvation is Jesus, period. Mm-hmm. The one who brought to us the unconditional love. That is our salvation, the unconditional love that is not decaying, the unconditional love that's not dying, the unconditional love that is, that is never beginning and is always growing, is always um, expanding, is always becoming greater and greater and greater. So then, of course, Papa can, can send us to dismantle the spiritual powers of collective selfishness. It's not about tearing down society. It's about dismantling, dismantling collective selfishness by dismantling the underpinnings of that spiritual root of the schemes of evil to steal, kill, and destroy, to divide us. Okay, so... Um, when we read 2 Corinthians 2.11, we saw an order that Satan might not outwit us, outwit us. So here's this, this um, chess game, for we are not unaware of his schemes, the plans of selfishness to steal, kill, and destroy. So I wanted to just look at the word schemes um, in Hebrew. So I went to Psalm 37, 7, 37, chapter 37, verse 7, and found um, Mazima. And Mazima is the noun. It's a noun feminine made from mem, zayin, mem, mem, hey. Lots of mems in that one. And uh, so the covenant of Mazima is blood that perfects water and womb so they are fruitful. So um, so in the noun, we have the um, redemptive side of this is the blood of Jesus that we will will walk alongside with us so that we can we can be washed clean through the water and and become a womb that is fruitful and and so now we're not decaying and dying we're growing we've become love through the blood all right wow i'm just going to mm-hmm. have a moment with that right <laughs> the noun of a scheme has you know so what the enemy is trying to use for evil we can turn around totally by the blood of the lamb to see the perfection which you know in in our terms perfection is not without flaw perfection is maturity so becoming more and more love and become fruitful so now here is the verb the verb we found in psalm 31:13 and that is zamam 
So Zamam and uh, Mezema are obviously very related to each other because they're both made from the same roots, which are Zayin, Mem, and Mem. And uh, so Mezema has Mem, Zayin, Mem, Mem, Hey, and that's our noun. And then our verb, Zamam, uh, and oh, I'm sorry, Mezamim, oh, I lost something. Yeah. Okay, so I lost a, a Hebrew reference, but that's okay. But mm-hmm. Zamam is Hebrew 2161. And um, so I'll have, to, I'll have to get the... Um, the Strong's reference for tonight. <laughs> I had it, but I lost it. Anyway, so Zamam, Zayin, Mem, and Mem. Now listen to this. The covenant of Zamam is perfecting a blemish. Mm. So it reveals the truth. Mm. Mm. I, so what is the scheme of evil? To deceive so that the, the wedding is prevented. Steal, kill, and destroy. But the redemptive covenant, the, the, the transliterated covenant of Zaman is, is perfecting a blemish. It's ma- maturing us in our selfishness, mm-hmm. maturing us to love so that the truth is revealed, so the world can see we don't have to fight in order to be safe. We don't have to go ahead. We don't have to fight in order to have comfort. We don't have to steal. We don't have to compete against each other so that one person is conquered so that I'm not conquered. I mm-hmm. keep myself from being conquered by competing and conquering somebody else. Then I'll have something, but I didn't receive it. I took it. And then I hoarded it because I was afraid of someone taking it from me. And instead, We've, we've completely turned the table. The truth is, is that I can have my own personal intimate relationship with God, who is love, and God is the one that gives us everything we need. Mm-hmm. So we're not just comforted, but we have, we have his Isaiah 60. You know, we have mm-hmm. comfort my people. We've, yeah. we've got him, you know, and we've got the resurrection of who we were created to be. We have the fruit of, that changes everything. We've, we're overcoming our own selfishness, realizing that collective selfishness is not our salvation, so that we can every day in daily bread portions return to the one who is love. And through the one who is love, we, we get to rescue others mm-hmm. from their selfishness and the collective selfishness by revealing the truth. Mm-hmm. What's, really, what's really there? Yeah. We don't have to fight. God has everything we need. Yeah. All we need is God. Mm-hmm. All we need is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the enemy wants us to focus on each other's blemishes, and we're here to wash each other's feet. That's right. So we don't see those blemishes, and so we allow another piece, person to see themselves as clean, yes. as redeemed, as before him again. Yeah. My nutshell would be, you can't build a case for yourself without building a case against someone else. And so the simple question is, why am I protecting myself and what am I protecting myself from? That's right. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that turnaround that you mentioned towards the end Mm -hmm. of what you're saying. So we got to be part of a really uh, just amazing 
project last week. So this week is, uh, and I probably don't have all the, the the full words for all the words for the title of it, but it's National Violent Crime Victim Awareness Week. So an awareness that people have been traumatized, people have been hurt, people have been harmed. So the project was for people, uh, pastors, leaders. Uh, of all different uh, faiths, denominations, that kind of thing, to each uh, be met in their environment and pray as they would pray for a victim of a violent crime. And so we got to do that and uh, mm-hmm. we uh, last Thursday. And so this week, those prayers are going out uh, into the environment at a national level and uh, this was all um kind of instigated by i think the attorney general um i know i don't have all the details perfect in that but it was amazing because the people who were filming us praying were not of the same faith as us (laughs) and i was so astounded because it would have been so easy for them to be you know looking for a magazine to read for those two minutes or whatever but they completely engaged with the prayer that we were praying and it just it was just a very powerful experience and um so they completely engaged with us and at the end they used this word um just basically saying that what we prayed encompassed it was very all-encompassing of the whole situation like the whole situation and of course that's because we forgave right you know as Mm. well as praying healing and all of those things so um that really impacted me that word encompass and i i looked at that word many times it's it's a favorite word in my favorite word list. Yes. Um, but it did become our covenant for this week because it just really, really impacted me. So um, I ended up in just a really exciting place. Like, I'm so excited about it. And it, it is about the turnaround. Mm. So encompassing in Hebrew, one of the words for that is azar. And it means to gird, to equip, to encircle, or to be with. And that's one thing I love about prayer is you actually are getting to be with the person you're praying for or within the circumstance you're praying about. You're getting to be part of that and and um, care for a person or a situation as if it were your own in those moments. And... So it's, you know, there's this encircling, there's this encompassing. And then another word connected to encompass is actually compassion, which is raham in Hebrew, which means compassion, mercy's womb, to cherish or to care for with a very tender love. Um, A love that the, the person knows that you care for them as if you were a child in as if they were a child in the womb 
awaiting birth, awaiting all that was before them, and you care for them in that way. And then another word that connects is amet, which is Hebrew for truth, but it's a unique truth. It's a truth that encompasses all things. So it is like the origin truth, the the uh, truth that always has been, always will be, that type of truth. So as I was really just letting the Lord unfold this word encompass for me, he led me to uh, the book of Jeremiah, and specifically um, the chapter chapter 31 mm. of Jeremiah. So something uh, significant about uh, this place where Jeremiah is and where he's hearing from the Lord is he's in prison. He is in prison at this time, and he is actually there grieving, grieving the place his people have come to. He's grieving the place the people are. And remember, this is hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, but Jeremiah is going to go through this chapter and he's going to just begin to describe the new covenant. And really, as far as Hebrew text goes, Jeremiah is the only place in in Hebrew in the Old Testament where the new test the new covenant is really explicitly expressed to the people and to us. So He's in prison, and the Lord comes to him and starts talking to him about these hopeful things, about a complete turnaround. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all need that when we're captive to something. We need to come, have someone come and encircle us with truth. And so that's that's what the Lord does with Jeremiah. In this moment, he is going to speak about the new covenant. Um, but before we come to that, in verse 22, something very unique is said. And now I have to find it. Oh, those numbers are little <laughs> for me in this morning hour. Um, okay. Well, verse 22 has just, okay. (laughs) Here's what Adonai, the God of Israel says. This expression will be used again and again in the land of Judah and its cities after I have returned their exiles. May Adonai bless you, home of justice, holy mountain. Okay, so he's talking about this return of exiles. And um, so he's, he's saying, remember, this is what I've always said I'm going to do. And this is going to be, this expression is going to be used again and again. Um, I'm not going to stop talking about this. I'm not going to stop talking about a return. I'm not going to stop talking about a regathering of my people. So then, not going to change the subject. But right before 
he's reminding Jeremiah of this, he says a very unique thing, which is in verse 21, he says, For Adonai has created something new on earth. A woman will encompass the, a man. Okay, so you could go all kinds of places with that, and we're not going to go any of those places. <laughs> so, ladies, don't get excited. This does not mean what you are hoping it's going to mean. No, <laughs> not the women I know. They wouldn't hope for that. But he's talking about this new thing. So, okay, pause on that for just a second. So, first we're told that the God that comes to Jeremiah to speak about these things, to speak about the return, to speak about the new covenant, is the Lord of old. So who is the Lord of old? It is the God anchored in eternity. So this is the God whose love is anchored in the eternity of the past from from the beginning, from um, all things with a love that extends to the future. So this is an encompassing love, a never-ending love. And his promise that he's speaking to Jeremiah about is his promise to draw. And he describes how he's going to draw the people through hesed, through unconditional love, through loving kindness, through redemptive love. And he describes that he wants his people, he wants his beloved to be drawn, not driven. And his people have been captive enough times that they understand what being driven means. But he doesn't want them driven. He wants them drawn. Mm -hmm. He wants them to want to come to him, to want to choose him because his love restores and it rebuilds. Mm -hmm. So... So all throughout Jeremiah 31, um, it speaks of looking on the one that has been pierced, um, gathering the scattered flock, those who are gathered having a joyful response, celebrating their gathering, because this isn't an enslavement. This isn't a capturing. This is a captivation that's happening. And then that God is going to embrace the repentant, those who are returning. And then as they're gathered, planting is going to be restored. So he speaks, he uses this phrase, Adonai is going to do a new thing, and the woman is going to encompass the man. Okay, so let's look at what that means, because it's so cool. Mm. All right, so to be encompassed in this way that this is described is to be so secure in God's restoration. Women, don't get upset about how I say this now because we're going to go somewhere so good. So to be so secure in God's restoration that women could could provide absolute security to men. Like the men wouldn't be the protectors. Okay, hold on to that in a good way. So... (laughs) Because I'm going to tell you what this means. This is for all of us, and it's so good. So, um, the word used for that that encompassing, that protection, is tesova, and it's T-E-S-O-V-A-V. And it means turning or going around 
or giving complete thorough attention to or to bring thorough attention to. So what he's saying is attention is going to be drawn to a certain thing and it's going to be so thorough nobody can miss it. Okay, so now... Now we're, we're going to come into this new, cover, new covenant environment. And there's a marker of this new covenant that the Lord doesn't want us to miss. So the new covenant, and let's just talk, describe the new covenant really quick. And this is in verse 31. So 31, 31. Mm-hmm. That's on purpose. Here the days are coming, says Adonai, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by their hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, because they, for their part, did not keep covenant, even though I was a husband to them. Now, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my Torah within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will people need to be instructed for all will know Adonai. All will know me from the least to the greatest because I will forgive them and I will remember their sins no more. This is the description of maturity that there won't need to be this instruction as there has been anymore because everything will be on the hearts of the people and they will just know. They will just know him. So I'm going to come back to that. So let's look at the encompassing again or this encircling. How is this new covenant going to be marked? Well, it says he's created something new on earth. A woman, in the CJB, it says a woman with the strengths of the man. So, we need to look at that phrase and what the woman is. So, this new covenant environment will be marked by the return of the Ezer Connecto. I never say that second word right, but the helpmate. Hmm. Who will encircle with active demonstration... God's will. It will be someone who will, through active demonstration, encircle God's will. Who is that helpmate? The bride. The new covenant will be marked by the bride. The signpost will be the bride. Come on. Not the waiting bride, the active bride, the alive bride, the resurrected bride will be that marker. And so it, it speaks of a coming. So that word for coming is olam haba. It's a phrase. And it means coming, but it, it's a coming. It's an arrival that comes when a people act according to his purposes right now. So when a people know his past, his presence, and his what's to come. It's this bride. So knowing Uh, This encompassing is described as knowing what God wants for the groom, for his son. Mm. And that there would be one on earth that would communicate 
purpose, God's purpose in a way that would encourage, nourish, and bring to fulfillment the bride. So the bride will circle him and circle heaven and bring this newness that he describes. So what's, what's the new? This isn't a new arrangement. This word is hadash, which is a noun form for moon or the new moon. And so this is hadash. This is all things new. This is um, the restoration of the temple, the revitalizing of the spirit, the reconstruction of cities and the rebuilding of earth. Hmm. So the noun form is used. So it's renewed, not brand new, renewed. This is about um, not what you have never seen, but what he's always been doing. This is about the greatest thing, which is his ever faithfulness. His, he's always faithful and his drawing us to that faithfulness. So, kadash, this renewal word, this new thing, is, is only used during times of exile. During times of exile are the only times um, that Israel is spoken to about something being new or made new in their interaction with God. Nowhere else in, in their history is it used only when he's drawing them, when he's drawing them from where they are to him. And he's revealing that his purposes haven't changed and his character has not changed. This is a rebuilding. This is a restoring. This is a reconstruction. It's restoration. So he's, what he's saying in, in Jeremiah 31 is... Um, the pattern we've been in is going to shift. Um, the method of operating, the manner in which this is working is going to change, but not the content. The covenant is the covenant, but the way it is going to come forth is going to look different. There's going to be a new reality because the Torah is going to be written on the hearts of men instruction will no longer be necessary and I wrote this in all caps because all will see the Lord all will serve the Lord mm-hmm. this is not an erasure of the old it is a restoration and a renewal of what has always been so Jeremiah 31 21 where it speaks of this new thing and this the woman encompassing the man ties back to Genesis 2.18. And um, it it is uh, highlighting that everything is going to be different. That values are going to be reversed. And it's just what you were talking about. There's, There's a whole other set of values because we've lost what is valuable. But all of that is going to be reversed rooted things are going to be ungrounded i loved that so much because we were with the blue army last wednesday and this whole we had quite a lightning storm here uh right after together last week Mm -hmm. and the word that came forth as we were talking was ungrounded 
like things were being ungrounded. So that's very true. That's what is being spoken of here. Rooted things, things that seem like they can never change, can never be moved, can never look any other way, will be ungrounded. Everything will be different. So when we come to uh, this cross-reference between Jeremiah 31-21 and Genesis 2-18, the word for woman used is nakava, and it means woman or boundary. It means that there will be this encircling that will surround or enclose, and that word is sabah, and it means to go around, to encircle, but the other thing it means is to turn around, to cause a change, to cause a turning around. So what he is saying is he will use a bride to change the direction of mankind. So mankind will come back to the original, will come back to the origin, will come back to what has always been. So this will be uh, not the Ezer Kedegdo <laughs> of the garden. This will be the one he has always intended, the one that restores, the one that navigates. So what is this man that's going to be surrounded? The word is geber, G-E-B-E-R, and it means man or the nature of mankind. This nature of man without God as source. And so it's all these things about war and might and, and own power. That's going to be surrounded. The mightiest things, the, the things that oppose God, the greatest, are going to be surrounded. And there's going to be a new direction coming from the bride. Uh. <laughs> I'm all about it. I love it. We're not a waiting bride. We are wed and we're wild. And so we're wild enough to circle his wheel. Wow, that was so Oklahoman. Yeah. His will. Yeah. Not his wheel. No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for all you outside of Oklahoma just there. Texas was okay, but probably no one else. Yeah. <laughs> we're wild enough to circle him to circle heaven, to circle his always standing, his always present, his everlasting will, which is to love. And to remember, we're circling who he is and what who it is that's coming. He comes every day. That's that Olam Haba. He arrives each time we act according to his will, each time the bride does that. So even the mightiest, the thing that seems most powerful, is going to be surrounded and turn around. It's going to be changed. And the world, this actually is a description, and I loved it so much because it was sung in worship last week. The world will be turned inside out, upside down. Hmm. Um, so a bride surrounding will turn a culture or a society upside down and inside out. And so um, God hasn't abandoned his original model. And that Azair, 
The verb form of that is azar, and it means to save from danger, to deliver from death. Hmm. That's what he's done for us. That, that word azar is used to describe him as well, as our rescue, as our salvation, as our hope, and the bride in his image. Not looking for his image, but revealing his image gets to be that, gets to be wild enough to circle his will. Hmm and cause the turn and mark the new covenant where all will see, all will serve, all will know him. There will not be one who doesn't know. We won't have to be telling people who he is. We'll be walking in the truth. We'll be surrounded by the truth of who he is, the amet of who he is together as one. And I love it. (laughs) Too much. You know, it's like a, almost like an unveiling because I don't think I've ever seen before now the cadence similarity between Jeremiah 31 and um, Isaiah 65. So if you take the cadence of Isaiah 31, it's, you know, I'm, I have a new covenant mm-hmm. and, and the old will go away. Which, which sounds like I will destroy the old covenant and I will bring a new one. That's not the case, of course. It's, it's I'm taking the old covenant and bringing it to, like you just said, its original design. Revitalizing, Revitalizing. renewing, hadash, renewing. Renewing. So, and which is, which is all uh, of the, yeah. you know, when I made the little table in February of all of the different, chapters and verses that talked about re- renew, restore, rebuild. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, keep going because I've got to find something I didn't say that needs to be said. So my cadence similarity is with Isaiah 65 verse 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Listen to what I just said. Mm-hmm. New heavens and new earth. Everyone believes that means that that the universe will be destroyed and rebuilt, but from scratch, you know. But that's not what it's saying. It's just saying that 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 it will be revitalized. It will it, the former will not be remembered, but not necessarily destroyed. And uh, so then then you can then you can cross reference that to Revelation uh, twenty one. Verse 1, when uh, John says, I see, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. But that, that doesn't mean destroyed and rebuilt. It meant brought to Built upon, yeah, design. restored. And I, it's just so significant. All will know me from the least to the greatest. Here's the truth. We're not here to determine who's the least and who's the greatest. We're here to love. Yes. And this says all need love. And we're here to love, not to set up a hierarchy of the least and the greatest. And and how will that happen? He will forgive. We will forgive. And those sins will be remembered no more. So here's the thing I wanted to make sure I didn't not say no. I don't know. We're about to start a second podcast again. <laughs> Be careful. Okay, so another aspect of that woman 
that bride that is there who is encircling, it also means watchman. Mm. And it says in, in Jeremiah, the watchman would have another purpose, not to warn of approaching an approaching enemy, but to welcome pilgrims returning. <laughs> you guys, not to warn of approaching enemy, because one day he's going to have no room in us. Right. He's not going to be able to distract us and dissuade us and discourage us because we're going to be encircling with encouragement and nourishment. So all come to this place of fulfillment in Him. Not of the things they're trying to build, but what He has built for us. Oh! So we're going to be watching to welcome. That day is coming when we're not watching to warn of the enemy approaching, but to welcome the return, the joyful restoration of all things. And that's not a to come. It's, it comes every time, every single time we act according to His will. We walk in His way every time. It happens every day. It's happening right now. This is now, right now. I'm not going to keep saying it, but right now. But you know that word restoration, baby, that that changes the focus of the church mm-hmm. from abandoned ship. Yeah. Which is, I'm sorry, that's been the focus of the church. Abandoned ship. The earth is going away. Let's get out of here. Yeah. You know, abandoned ship. It takes away the joy and the responsibility. The responsibility and the joy of res- restoration, rebuild, mm-hmm. renew. Be part of this. Revitalize the ship. Yeah, and that I love that part of it is revitalizing the spirit. It's resurrection. Mm-hmm. We're in the midst of a resurrection right now that changes everything. It is happening. It's not going to happen. It's happening right now. See, I came back to it. Right now. <laughs> now. <laughs> that's that's the whole point is is I think so many people's focus has been heaven. Yeah. Instead of realizing that the the point is earth. Mm-hmm. You know, almost like heaven is God and earth is the bride and the new heaven and the new earth are us one. You yeah, know? and and that hadash that all things new that representation of the ever faithful God we will see the never before because this is never a people has never come together like the way we're getting to the way we're invited to complete unity and the way we're responding to oh I might just perish right here except I won't because I want to be part of this right so yes everything changes yeah we're not abandoning ship to get to heaven yeah we're staying here to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. That is maturity. Mm-hmm. We do have something to dismantle, but we have something to rebuild. Yes. Woot. Okay, well, there it is. There it is. Yeah. We love you. Yes, we do. Very much. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Yes, we will. Live stream tonight. Live stream tonight.